The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have such an important subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. We do have many social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. You can be sure to check out our fan page on Facebook. That page is growing more and more every day. We're trying to reach that 5,000 follower mark and, and go well beyond that, of course. But we're trying to reach 5,000. You can go ahead and search that page when you type in the search bar at Mighty Fortress 313. We do, of course, have a YouTube channel as well that's growing very slowly, but we're uploading more videos and we're seeing a lot of people like liking to watch the YouTube rather than listen to just the regular podcast. So that's definitely a benefit. But be sure to go ahead and, and hit that subscribe button and that notification bell to really help the channel grow. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. <laughs> now, of course, you could just visit our website as well at OurMightyFortress.com. There we have the host of media uh, hosted. We're going to find articles, written articles and videos, and even a link to our merch store where you can help support the work. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through the website and our established PayPal link. Of course, if we've helped you in some way through our work, I'd love to be able to hear about it. You can go in and send us an email at ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and how he is to guide the individual Christian in this life. I'm going to do this by walking through the book of Galatians and how God used the Apostle Paul to communicate these truths. This is so very, very important to the Christian's life, so much so that there is no victory in our everyday goings without the Holy Spirit. We're not going to have any victory against Satan except through the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote a great deal to the Galatian churches about things pertaining to God. There are many issues that arose in the understanding of the Galatians as Judaizers had arisen to confuse the works of the law and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
One historian wrote, quote, There must have been a considerable number of converts from the large Jewish population which had been attracted to Galatia by its fertility, its thriving commerce, and the privileges which secured them the free exercise of their religion. These Jews and their visitors from Jerusalem proved to be a dangerous element in the infant church. End quote. Paul especially wrote the letter in order to chastise, instruct, and even encourage the Galatian churches. There are many characteristics of the Holy Spirit given throughout Scripture, which helps paint a complete picture of his ministry. For instance, in the book of Ephesians, we're shown that the Holy Spirit is a, or has a sealing ministry for the saved believer that seals him to the day of redemption. Now that deserves a whole podcast in itself because it's that is so very important to the eternal security of the believer. Once saved, always saved. And it's because of that verse and much more. But that verse is so blatant. The book of Galatians has a very important aspect to consider, which is how the Holy Spirit affects the individual Christian in their walk with God. Of all the subjects discussed, Paul emphasized how the Christian should interact with the Holy Spirit and the daily living of walking through that very Spirit. This brings us to the point of the podcast with Paul's view of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Galatians is the epistle that has the greatest number of the occurrences of the word spirit or pneuma in the biblical Greek. We're going to look at all the references to the Holy Spirit used in the book of Galatians and in the context in which they are used. We'll also see how these passages make a coherent statement of what Paul believes about the Holy Spirit. Finally, how does the Holy Spirit relate to the Christian and his or her walk with Jesus Christ? We're going to look at that as well. As each of these are addressed in full, we can start to see a very clear picture of Paul's message and how the Christian life is to be run. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned is found in the book of Galatians chapter 3 verses 2 through 3 where it says, quote, This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? End quote. What is important to realize about these two passages is that Paul makes an assumption that is important to his theology of the subject, and that is a saved believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Paul states that the believers receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith, this was supposed to provoke thought in the Galatians as to how they received the Spirit compared to the persuasion they had received from the Judaizers going back to the bondage of the law. At the beginning of verse 3, Paul is rebuking the Galatians by attempting to start their faith by one way but finishing another. Paul, however, believed that the Galatians were Christians because they had already received the Spirit. Hence, he frames the matter in terms of progress in the Christian life. 
and he doesn't even grant the premise of the false teachers. Despite, you know, this good beginning, the Galatians are being tempted by agitators, the Judaizers, go back to the law of Moses, do this, do that, to be right with God, or uh, to be saved even. The next verse dealing with the Holy Spirit is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, He therefore that ministereth you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? That's a question that Paul is asking. Paul connects uh, this with the previous verses using therefore, and then goes to the point of the matter. He states that the person that ministers to them and works miracles, do they by the law or by faith? See, the word faith is to be taken in the active sense of believing rather than some passive sense. So this leads us back that, that the spirit that they received and that they saw the works of God. They saw miracles. They saw the works of God. Though Paul does not technically connect the Spirit with God's activity of miracles, he often does so in other passages of Scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Next, we have Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, quote, That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. End quote. We see that the Holy Spirit is connected with faith and the patriarch Abraham. Paul states that the blessing of Abraham came unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ and that this was the promise fulfilled. Paul would be asserting that God has extended the Abrahamic blessing to the Gentiles with the purpose that or the result that Christians might experience the Spirit. This is important to note because the Gentiles do not experience the blessing of Abraham through the law, but by the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing of Abraham can be equated with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to say. Moving on, we have Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, which says, quote, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba Father. This deals with the evidence that Christians are the sons and daughters of God by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul goes back to the original subject that he was saying in chapter 3 verses 1 through 5, that the Galatians by the Spirit of God are the people of God. To be the sons of God would come before the works of the Spirit and it came by faith at the first. There could be some mistaking of Paul referencing a chronological order of sonship first and then the Holy Spirit, but that's not the point that he's trying to make. That has to do with what's called the Ordu Salutis, or the Order of Salvation, and there's a lot of ink spilled on that subject, for many of which happen at the same time whether it's rejuvenation or faith or, you know, in, in the order that somebody is saved. A lot happens at the same time, but people try to put it in a chronological order. I don't think that's so easy to do in the heavenly sense of how God operates. 
but a lot of ink has been spilled over that subject so people get a little weirded out and get a little goofy in that area but think about this the holy spirit cries out in our hearts abba father in other words you get saved first and then you receive the holy spirit in galatians chapter 4 and verse 29 it says but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. This references the Holy Spirit by stating that those who are of the flesh persecute those who were born after the Spirit in the past, even more so in the present. This comes before he gives the example of Hagar and Ishmael. This comparison is that Ishmael mocked and persecuted Isaac in the book of Genesis. So the lost people around the Galatian churches may persecute them for their faith. Basically, if the Galatians are Sarah's true children, you know, the children of faith, then how does one classify the Judaizers who came to Galatia and insisted on circumcision? Surely, they, I mean, the Judaizers, they saw themselves as the true sons of Sarah and Abraham. Paul, however, compares them to Ishmael, who ridiculed and persecuted Isaac. This mockery could be construed as a form of persecution. This deep comparison would help the Galatians understand that if they're trying to follow after Christ, then they're going to have to suffer persecution even from the Jews themselves. Now, the subject of persecution is one that we don't like to talk about. I mean, sometimes you'll hear it spoken of, but people don't really want to go through it. But it's all for a purpose and a rhyme and a reason, and that is to glorify God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Moving on in our study here, then we have the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It says, quote, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. End quote. Paul illustrates a very powerful set of verses in the way the Christian should walk with God. These verses should be written upon your memory and upon your heart. Remember this and apply it to your life. He states that in verse 16 to walk in the spirit and one will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, a.k.a. sin. Paul is going to further illustrate and clarify what nature of freedom means. If believers live in the Spirit, then they will not walk in the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 says that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. They're going to be contrary one to the other so that man can't seem to figure out what is correct. The King James Version of the Bible uses Spirit capitalized which references the proper name of the Holy Spirit. And it seems to be, you know, hey, the common translation of such. There are those, of course, who <laughs> disagree with this and they 
have a very ill-advised approach to scripture that's the <laughs> nicest way to put it but they put the emphasis on the human spirit instead so they they would say lowercase that s one liberal author states quote in galatians 5:17 there are great difficulties in the way of taking the word spirit to refer to the holy spirit end quote it seems as though that this author makes humanity and his flesh to be clean and not marked by the sin from the fall. Another liberal writer adds to the use of the word lowercase s spirit by saying, quote, To my mind, the most characteristic aspect of the portrayal of human reality in Galatians is that humanity is depicted as being trapped in a situation of spiritual submission or bondage. In other words, humanity needs to be spiritually liberated, end quote. <laughs> that that's crazy the problem with this type of thought is that in verse 18 it states quote but if you be led of the spirit you're not of the law end quote we are to be led of our own spirit against our own flesh that that doesn't even make any sense if you translate it that way by presenting the flesh as lusting against a capital s spirit as much as the spirit desires against the flesh Paul gives the flesh an autonomy which properly belongs to it and stands for mankind and sin, and which, of course, would separate us from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh, this just plays out every day in our life when we're tempted by something. And let's just use a, a more common example. <laughs> they say that the test of your spirituality is when somebody cuts you off on the freeway. <laughs> what is the first instinct that comes forth? Now, to the general person, it might be anger or irritability or whatever else, but your flesh rises up with a response. Then you almost have to convince yourself or put down the flesh and walk in the spirit, as the Bible says, and then you have to strive forward and clean your mind and heart now there are so many ways that this can be applied i just use that and anger and the freeway just as a, a kind of a funny example for a moment but this can be applied in almost every aspect of your life the next set of verses about the holy spirit are found in galatians 5 verses 22 through 25 which says quote but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now this goes into good detail about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The first fruit that is mentioned is love or the more famous greek word agape love is a very important characteristic when a person gets saved and receives the holy spirit they can either walk in the spirit or the flesh and this is a day-by-day -day basis if they walk in the spirit then they're going to exhibit these characteristics I, you know, there's a lot of people who write books on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll say fruits of the Holy Spirit. But really, 
you can't have one without the other. If you're going to walk in the spirit, you're going to have all of the fruit. That's why it says it in singular. Now, you can't say, well, I'm just more filled with joy than long suffering. And sometimes I'm pretty good at faith and goodness, but temperance, you know, I, I don't always have that, but I'm still filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, <laughs> that's not how it works. You can't pick and choose. You got to have all the above. Sure. Is it a work in progress? Absolutely. <laughs> it almost seems like you could walk in the spirit one moment and then in the flesh the next moment. Like on the freeway example, right? <laughs> but with practice, you can exhibit all of the above fruit. In the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, it states, quote, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. End quote. This fruit, of course, points back to what's illustrated in Galatians 5, 23-25. We are commanded to bear fruit since we are the new creation in Christ. And that means that we're also to meet the prerequisites for bearing fruit. What is that? The prerequisites deal with dying to flesh and abiding in the Savior Jesus Christ. The contrast given early in ver earlier in verse 19 about the works of the flesh is often thought to signal two emphases uh, that the flesh demands what the Spirit produces. The final set of verses dealing with the Holy Spirit is found in Galatians 6, 8-9, which says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not." End quote. This set of verses really emphasize the importance of doing right as a Christian and not doing evil, because you're going to receive what you put forth. You know, <laughs> this is based upon the illustration of the sower that is used by Jesus to illustrate how the word of God goes forth and the seed hitting different types of ground. That's in Matthew 13, verses, uh, uh, starting in verse 3. But consider this, that it also applies to you, not just to the word of God that goes out, but it also applies to you. Whatever you give out, <laughs> as far as seed, sort of say, how you act, how you conduct yourself. Is it in the flesh or is it of the spirit? You're going to reap the same. That is so very important. I remember one person that dealt much, much evil to me. And man, I my flesh rose up and I mean, I wanted to say something. I had this internal battle. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not super spiritual. And I, I'm just telling you that there's this battle that took place within me. Like it happens with all of us. Sometimes the flesh wins, like all of us, but hey, this time I was able to put it down and try to walk in the spirit, but I could feel the burning inside me of wanting to say something, and this particular person was saying much, much evil against me, and I thought to myself, they will reap what they sow, God will be my avenger, I don't have to do anything, he's going to take care of it, and you know what, that gave me peace. 
Sometimes that's going to happen where you're just going to have to bite your tongue, sort of say. But I'm not talking about, say, a general attitude where you just <laughs> you have a bad attitude. But I'm saying that when you're wronged legitimately and that's going to happen, just remember you reap what you sow. And that goes for the lost person, too. The law of sowing and reaping applies to lost people, too. They will reap what they sow. So that should give us comfort to, hey, you know what? I'm going to strive to walk in the Spirit. Now, the opening part of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 states, Be not deceived. Now, this is as if the Galatians may be weak in this area of mocking God. Sowing refers to the actions or conduct of a person, while reaping refers to the consequences of those actions and particularly to the consequences that will come about more than likely on the day of judgment. Not always. Those consequences can come in part of this life, but you're also going to look at the judgment of God in the end time when you're standing before him for judgment. The Apostle Paul did have judgment in mind for the Galatians and is chiefly concerned about the end time harvest. And that's why he talks about uh, why you're going to reap, but that's also in the next verse. In verse 9, the emphasis was not to be weary in sowing of the fruit of the Spirit, and also that if you're faithful to such, you're going to have a good harvest. What we do can make an impact for the world for Christ or a detriment. This is very much a concept that is very, very important to understand. We have to understand this as Christians, is that our actions can ring throughout history for generations long after we're dead. You have to consider that, both your negative and your positive actions. Okay, let me give a good example. I'm not saying a Christian would do this, but let's just use it in the lost person sense. A lost person who owns a bar is going to have to have sins held to his account for all the lives that he's going to destroy. He or she is going to destroy the families that are destroyed because of the booze, the, um, the lives, generations, as that tree uh, of people just expands out through time and history, lives that are destroyed. All of that is held to that person's account. We see that found in many places and those, you know, the judgment will be accordingly. So for instance, there's a lot of sins that go back to King uh, Rigoboam and his uh, stupidity in splitting the kingdom, as well as Jeroboam too, by the way, both uh, the northern and southern kingdoms. You can find those in scriptures. And we're talking about hundreds of years later. Now, that's interesting. He didn't blame the current king. He blamed Rigoboam or in the opposite Jer uh, Jeroboam in this proper context. Now, that's fascinating. That also means that the opposite is also true. We actually see that throughout history, more specifically in Christian history. I go more in-depth detail about this in podcast number six, titled With a Purpose. You have to, you know, forgive me for my scratchy voice in that one. I just got done preaching just hours before at a church. But that's beside the point is that what we do can ring throughout generations. And really, that puts a whole nother just 
mind-blowing twist on the law of sowing and reaping. What we do in our everyday life can have a dramatic impact upon people. So it should tailor us a bit on how we treat others and how we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul walks the Galatian church through not only the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, but also how that same believer can be pleasing unto God through that same spirit. In Galatians 3, the progression mentioning the Holy Spirit is the one is saved by faith and receives the spirit in verses 2 and 3. Then in verse 14, the recognition that the spirit was a blessing stemming all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. In verse 27, it then goes on to describe how the Holy Spirit baptizes the believing sinner into Christ because the believer has been baptized in the spirit. He can then put on Christ and talked about putting away the old man and putting on Christ. The Holy Spirit then in the chapter, uh, chapter four and verses six state that it indwells the believer to communicate with the father. Verse 29 brings forth that believer who walks in the spirit or that believer who walks in the spirit will receive persecution for being a part of Christ. And that is so very true. Would you choose to stay outside what the world says to do and you don't walk lockstep with them, you will receive persecution. That's just how it works. The Holy Spirit will help the believer walk with God as it states in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. This battle takes place between the spirit and the flesh every single day. And it just renews over and over and over again until the day that we die. The purpose of this indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit is to control the newly created creature. A believer will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit as stated in chapter 5. But first of all, the fruit is love, which does go back to the two great commandments that Christ gave. To love God with all of your heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You see that in Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40. The rest of the fruit of the believer that he or she is going to exhibit is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Finally, in chapter 6 of Galatians and in verse 8, we see the culmination of our work here on earth that goes towards the judgment. There are two categories of fruit that all of the previous chapter's references fall under. There is the outer fruit, which you're going to exhibit in soul winning or winning people to Christ or even preaching. And this whole point of preaching and teaching is to win people to Christ. Then you have the inner fruit, which makes you be more Christ-like, which actually, that's the definition of Christian, to be Christ-like, right? Much of the fruit will contribute to the winning of souls and the reaping the harvest of souls, as Jesus describes in John chapter 4 and verse 35. Overall, the fruit will contribute to the character of a man being transformed into Christ, or to be more Christ-like. Through this process, as found in verse 8, what a person sows, whether in the spirit or the flesh, he will also reap. This is specifically used to get the Galatians to consider the end time judgment and the return of Jesus Christ. Then in verse nine, 
the Pauline expression in due time means the time which God has ordained and filled with content. And here refers to the time of the eschatological harvest when those who uh, persevere and well-doing will be rewarded. Now, this can also apply in the present tense and also in the future tense. Think of it like this, is that you sow and you reap and you will reap in due time in due time so if you keep doing right before god god will bless you it may not be right when you want it at that moment but he will bless you in your life and you'll get a chance to actually look back through your life and see those blessings much more effectively but even more so when we're rewarded as christians for what we do in this life you know it will pay off then so how does this all relate to the church today it's important to make all the information relevant to the individual believer to help them understand their position in Christ. Is the conversion of a person and the baptism of the Holy Spirit some mystical experience as some foreign cultures try to relate to us? When a person comes to be born again the Bible way, as it says in John chapter 3, he or she is given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. What is the primary function of the Holy Spirit? Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit's job description in John 14, 26. It says, quote, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have sent unto you, end quote. The Holy Spirit is to guide the believer unto truth and to teach them. The young believer is to grow and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. The love of God will be the foundation for all of what the believer is going to learn and bring forth through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Also, loving his neighbor will, will just follow as he pursues after God. When Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia, they were disoriented as to figuring out the difference between the law and Christ. Judaizers had come and caused much confusion to which they got some of the Galatians to come back to the practices of the law, like circumcision and like. Paul wrote a letter of rebuke, but also exhortation to get the church back on track for God. He did this primarily through the emphasizing of not only the power and glory of Christ, but also the power of the Holy Spirit. He then went on to teach how each of the believers can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. This is done through striving to bear the fruit of the spirit. Through this, the Galatians can seek after a better judgment in which their works will be tried in faith for Christ. If one walks in the spirit, bears the fruit, then in due season he or she will reap what they sowed. This pertains not only to heavenly rewards, but also unto the souls that are, are saved. Paul's letter was greatly needed to help sort out the theological nonsense that the Galatians were in. God used that to help strengthen those churches and to reach more people for Christ. May we apply this and walk in the way that God wants us to, and that is through the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media 
Take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.